Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. So we are continuing reading through the Bible together as a congregation, and we have made it to Luke and we are um, still in this series where we're looking at passages that appear in all of the Gospels. Well, at least all of the synoptics. But this one today actually appears in all four um, in very different ways. In fact, this Lucan one is the, the most different of all of them. So, so we're going to hear now from the Gospel of Luke chapter 7. Hear now the word of the Lord. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him. After he entered the Pharisee's home, he took his place at the table. Meanwhile, a woman from the city, a sinner, discovered that Jesus was dying in the Pharisee, dining in the Pharisee's house. She brought perfumed oil in a vase made of alabaster. Standing behind him at his feet and crying, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured oil on them. When the Pharisees who had invited Jesus saw what was happening, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. He would know that she is a sinner. Jesus replied, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, speak, he said. A certain lender had two debtors. One owed enough money to pay 500 people for a day's work. The other owed enough money for 50. When they couldn't pay, the lender forgave the debts of them both. Which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the largest debt canceled. Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? When I entered your home, you didn't give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has poured perfumed oil on my feet. This is why I tell you that her many sins have been forgiven, so she has shown great love. The one who is forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other table guests began to say among themselves, who is this person that even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes that we might see and know the word you have for us this day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Let's talk about assumptions. Uh, I've been thinking about times when people have made assumptions about me, and I thought I'd share uh, three brief stories of you. One is active right now because I am a United Methodist pastor. People in the glo- or those who are trying to lead the global Methodist church would say, because I am a United Methodist pastor, I don't believe in the resurrection. That's what they're saying about us right now, which I want to say is, I mean, I just sat up here and sang 
about Jesus dying and rising. And I was joyful to do it. And I absolutely believe in the resurrection. And if there comes a point, in fact, I asked myself this question in seminary. If I don't believe in the resurrection, I should not serve as a United Methodist pastor. I asked some questions about the, about the resurrection. I asked them in seminary. I did some soul searching and I came to full understanding that yes, I 100% believe in the resurrection. There is no question here. Right. Assumptions. I studied in France, and it was my very first night of staying with my host mother, and my French was not that great, in all honesty. I realized I could have a really good conversation with a five-year-old, because we could talk about numbers and colors all day long. But um, they wanted to debate big issues at dinner, Um, but I did have good enough French for when they turned to me and said, well, you're an American. How many guns do you have, and how many people have you shot? (laughs) I said, um, none and none. And they said, well, how are you living? Don't you get shot at every day? And then I worked for a real retailer, not the one here in town, a different one, in college. And I had a manager um, when I first started working there. And he said, I need you to give us a copy of your social security card and your driver's license. And I went to my purse and was pulling it out. And he said, oh, now I should preface this by saying when I applied for my, this was my first job that I applied for. And I didn't know you weren't supposed to give your transcript because everything I'd ever applied for up to that point had required a transcript. So I thought the same thing was true of jobs. So I included my transcript. So as he's looking, watching me dig in my purse for my social security card and my driver's license, he said, oh, it's good to see you have a messy purse, just like every woman. It's good to see you're a little normal, because I saw your GPA, and that's way too high for a woman to have. Oh, right. Oh, the collective groan, right? (laughs) Maybe you have had some assumptions made about you. How did it feel? How do you want to respond in those moments? Well, I want to talk about this woman that we've heard about today, and she has had assumptions made about her for 2,000 years. First, the host, Simon the Pharisee, did it. But so did a lot of the other people that were gathered at that meal. So did a lot of people in the city. And so have many of us, as we have perpetuated how she is understood through the ages. So we're going to get a handle on the assumptions that are made about her. And so we're going to look at the four anointings. Now, you know, you don't have them all in front of you, although if you picked up um, a copy on your way in, you at least have three of them in front of you. And if you go online to our website, you can click on online worship and pull up the the, um, gospel parallels. It does not have John's account on there, but um, we're just, I'm just going to summarize where the differences lie in the four anointing stories that we have. So the first question is, where does the anointing take place? In Matthew, Mark, and John, the anointing takes place in Bethany. In Luke, it's not specifically said, but it's probably in Nain or Capernaum, because that's where Jesus is doing ministry in these in this time. Whose house does it take place in? In Matthew and Mark, it's at Simon the leper's house. In Luke, it's at Simon the Pharisee's house. And in John, it's at Lazarus' house. When does the anointing take place? In Matthew, Mark, and John, it's just before Passover and Jesus' arrest. 
In Luke, it's in the middle of Jesus' ministry. How is Jesus anointed? Um, In Matthew and Mark, it is Jesus' head with perfume that the anointing takes place. In John and Luke, it's Jesus' feet with perfume and with someone using their hair, the woman using her hair to wipe his feet. Luke adds tears to the anointing. What is the purpose of the anointing? In Matthew, Mark, and John, it is preparation for Jesus' burial. In Luke, it is to demonstrate who is truly hospitable and who needs forgiveness. And who did the anointing? In Matthew and Mark, it is some unknown woman who will be remembered. Let's take a moment with that. We'll remember her, but not her name. We'll just remember what she did. Um, In John, it is Mary of Bethany. And in Luke, it's a woman from the city, a sinner. There is a tendency to take these four stories and make them all into one. And the reason that they do that is this is kind of a problem. Because it's four tellings of the quote-unquote same incident. Now, why we are insisting that this is the same incident, I'm not really sure. Because I don't know if you all have met the church. But if you do something once, it becomes regular practice. So I can see this woman in Luke doing something, doing this anointing, people hearing about it, and like, I don't want to anoint Jesus. I'm going to anoint Jesus, and it, and it catches on, right? But also, Jesus said she would be remembered. But then there's this question, do we have to remember all of them? <laughs> so maybe each gospel picks a different one. That process of making four distinct stories line up and become one is called harmonization. You get them all in harmony with one another. And it's this attempt to simplify, to stop questions from being asked, but oftentimes it involves really bad interpretation. And sometimes that bad interpretation takes hold. And this bad interpretation took hold thanks to Pope Gregory the Great from a sermon that he preached on September 21st, 591. Now, how would you like to be remembered for an exact date sermon? I hope if that happens to me, it's for actually being accurate, instead of being inaccurate, which is what happened with him. Because what Pope Gregory preached was that these were all the same woman, and it was Mary Magdalene. Note that none of the accounts say it was Mary Magdalene. The only account that gives a name is John, and it's Mary of Bethany. And of Bethany means she's from Bethany, and Magdalene means she's from Magdala. They're not the same people. These are two two different people. But he says what they really meant was Mary Magdalene. And because she's a woman from a city, the sinner, then she's obviously a prostitute. And Mary Magdalene had some problems. She was probably a prostitute. So we have this prostitute who anoints Jesus you know, and that's what happened, yippee ki and we're done. Um, except there's a lot of problems with this. First of all, Mary of Bethany loses credit. She falls completely out of this story. She, she doesn't get noticed for this at all. Second, Mary Magdalene is assumed to be this Mary. She's all of a sudden lifted into a story she didn't have anything to do with. And then 
And this is the one that drives me the craziest. The woman's sin is assumed to be prostitution. When were we told that? When were we told that she was a prostitute? Not once. Not ever. In 591. That's when we were told. Right. Thank you. Thank you very much, Clark. That's when we were told. Not in the Bible. We're told Mary Magdalene is healed of seven demons. That was what she was healed of. And we were told this woman from the city is a sinner. But we're never told what her sin is. We assume what it is. And that's some sloppy interpretation. And as one of my professors says, harmonization leads to harlotization. <laughs> right? And the problem with this is that assumptions are tearing us apart. Assumptions are splintering families and friends, communities, and the world. We only need to look at the, at the Ukraine to see this. Because there is a man who has said, people in Ukraine want to be Russians. So we have to go liberate them and make them into Russians. Except the people in Ukraine are going, well, that's a big assumption. <laughs> we were pretty sure we wanted to be Ukrainians. You didn't ask us. You're, you're assuming. And it is so often these assumptions that are destroying us. There's a difference between making assumptions and filling in gaps. Because we are in some ways invited to fill in gaps in the Bible. It's what makes the Bible real for us and, and moving for us. And let's talk about that. Um, there's a group of us in a leadership cohort, and we're reading a book called Crucial Conversations. And it's about how to talk with one another and talk in ways that truly hear one another. Um, and it talks about four different stories that we tell ourselves that create these assumptions that when, then we build whole reactions around. And that's, those are the stories of a victim, a villain, and stories of helplessness. So when something's going on and you're feeling tension or you're getting emotional about something, you may tell yourself a story about you being a victim. Or you may tell yourself a story about the other person being a villain. Or you may say something like this, well, there's nothing I can do about it. It's just the way it has to be, right? That's a helpless story. And this book talks about the way you overcome that is you turn victims into actors. You say you're not truly a victim. You can actually take some action in this space and assert who you are and share your story. And you don't have to assume the other person's a villain. Maybe you assume that that person is human and has some struggles too. And maybe we should try to learn what they're going through. And then you don't have to resign yourself to being helpless. You can be able in the midst of it as well. Now, I'll admit, if you think about those three examples that, you, that I gave you at the beginning, I've not done so great. I have returned, in many cases, assumption with assumption. So I have looked at those in the GMC and fired back in anger and said, oh, well, you think I don't believe in the resurrection? Well, let me tell you all the things you don't believe in. Right? But how, what, 
what good is that doing for anybody? And when it came to Bill Ladyman, you know, I could have at that point said, excuse me, sir, can we have a conversation about women's roles and status in this organization? Can we, can I, can I get some insight into why you would assume that about a woman? Can we, can we have a chat? But no, what I did was get my head down, took my paycheck and found another job. The only one that I did better at was France. And that was because, as shocked as I was, I was living with this lady for six weeks. (laughs) And what I found was every night we would gather around the nightly news. And all the nightly news was talking about, about the United States, was all the shootings. That's it. There was nothing about the O.J. Simpson trial. That's going to tell you how old I, I am. But, I mean, we were getting buried my, uh, in the United States. That's all that was going on here was the O.J. Simpson trial. And all that Europe is hearing is Americans are just constantly pulling guns on each other and shooting each other. And so I got a chance to say, not only to tell this family, that's not really how we live. We have a problem there. But that's not my day-to-day. But also for me to understand why they thought that. Now, as I mentioned, we are invited to fill in gaps. We are invited to help make the Bible story our own and to imagine where we might fit in the story. But we are to do that not with the intention of judging others and leveling the Bible against others, but with the purpose of committing ourselves to do better, to love more fully, to be better. So... I put myself in the role of the Pharisees and the disciples and ask myself, what assumptions am I making about people around me? How am I cutting them off and not seeing how they connect to Jesus and honoring that? What am I doing to make them feel judged and as outsiders? And then I put myself in the role of the woman. And what sins do I have? Because I have. Maybe it is also the sin of assumptions. What do I need to kneel at Jesus' feet and weep over? What do I need forgiveness for? But in the midst of making myself part of that story, I also get to hear the good news. Live the good news. Feel the good news. And I hope you all do too. That no matter what we are struggling with, no matter the judgments that others have put on us or the judgments that we lay at others' feet, no matter when we take those things and fall at the feet of Jesus Christ and weep and say, I am so sorry, I need forgiveness, it is given. And we are free. And we may go in peace. Thank the Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at fumcbentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, 
gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.